and welcome to today's episode of Tranquil Awakenings with me, Debbie Ison. On today's episode, I'm going to be chatting with my good friend Giles, exploring his journey around Mexico and how that has helped him to develop personally and spiritually, bringing him lots of insights and gifts that he would like to share with us today. Let's welcome Giles onto the show. Today I'm going to be having a chat with one of my best friends, Giles. We've only known each other since... Since June 20... 21? Yeah. Was it? And we have had such a crazy journey in those couple of years. Yeah. So I first met you at a wellbeing show. So I was on my stall and you came over to chat to me. You'd been at a talk with another hypnotherapy trainer and you wanted to basically compare courses and we just connected didn't we yeah yeah so you came on my course you're now a fully qualified trained hypnotherapist and you've also just completed my past life regression therapist training yeah it's been great good yeah (laughs) (laughs) so what we'll do is we'll have a bit of a chat about our friendship and how it's developed but first I need to hear about Mexico. So Giles has recently been to Mexico for several weeks and I saw him at the last training weekend of the past life regression course. However, we decided to keep it quiet and not discuss it so that today when we're recording, it would actually be a surprise for me as well. So would you like to just tell me what you've been doing in Mexico? Okay. Um, Thank you for having me on the show. It's a real privilege. Um, So Mexico was... Yeah, it was it was amazing. We were we were there with my partner Rose. We were there for five and a half, six weeks, and um, we just became immersed in that life and that culture for that amount of time. Uh, we were in South Mexico, so it's more of the Mayan culture there, Mayan people, um, close to the border of Guatemala as well. Wow. We didn't really do any research, which people might think like, what? <laughs> so we, basically, because getting to Mexico financially and energetically was, you know, the biggest challenge. So we had a lot of things going on uh, before Mexico. Um, we started the selling cacao. We started to uh, do some of the wellbeing show events and uh, a few other things. Rose has some, astro- Rose does astrology, so she had some astrology things to do. I had uni stuff to finish, so there was there was a lot going on basically. So we realized on the plane we were like, oh, we haven't actually booked anywhere for when we arrived. So everything was a bit kind of we just we went with the flow for the first bit, and uh, we flew into a place called Cancun, which is on the east coast of um, of Mexico, and um, we both decided we just want to be by the beach. So that was good. We were there, the Caribbean Sea. So we just slowed down for a bit and got quite into doing a bit of yoga every day and and everything while we were there for a while. That was really good. And then we just went with the flow. It was um, one of Rose's friends happened, who I also know as well, happened to be in Mexico. She'd been on this mad journey. She didn't even, really interesting story, but she wasn't even meant to be in Mexico. She got offered a free flight, but it was only a week. Someone had booked to fly from the UK over to Mexico for a week. And uh, they didn't want the ticket anymore. So she took the ticket, but didn't take the return flight. Ended up traveling around Mexico, ran out of money, got stuck, couldn't get back. But she's an astrologer as well. So she had to stay, do astrology work so she could fly back. 
Um, so we met up with her and we we just went with, with her. She said to go to this place called Tulum. Uh, we went down there. We didn't really connect in much with it. It didn't feel quite the right vibes for us. And uh, then we went on our own journey. Yeah, we went we went to the sacred site of um, Chichen Itza. That was a real experience, yeah. And um, I have to say probably both of our favorite experiences, definitely my favorite experience was going into the jungle for a while. Yeah. Wow. Because that wasn't that wasn't part of the kind of route that people go. You know, when you're there, you meet other travelers. They're like, "Oh yeah, have you heard of this place?" And you know, most people go into the kind of places you know that that are known. And um, one of those places was Palenque, and they've got ruins there. It's just some um, jungly old Mayan ruins. Really nice place, but also quite well trodden. You know, a lot of people go to this place, and um, we ended up meeting a couple who we got a ride with in a blah blah car which is basically you get a lift with someone and you pay them a little bit of money okay. so we went on a little road trip with them and they arrived in Palenque with us we stayed in a little cabana in the jungle that was fun for a few days Amazing. yeah and we got we got connected with them and uh, another guy who does Temescal what's that so Temescal is a sweat lodge okay. a native sweat lodge of central South America um it's done in a particular way with the blowing a conch shell to each direction, creating a fire, creating a fire with intentions, blessing the fire. So I had some jungle tobacco, so pure, pure cigars, basically, of just rolled jungle leaves used, used in a healing um, shamanic way. Um, yeah, clen- it cl- can cleanse the aura. So they um, would light it and blow it on people to cleanse their aura. But okay. you, you can offer it to the fire as well. And it's, um, it's a great offering for the fire. And so there's all of this practice around it. So we had this authentic Temescal experience. And um, just as it was just before dark when they started to prepare it. And then just before we went in, it was already dark. And that's when the first time we seen in Mexico was a firefly start to come out in the jungle. Yeah, it was really special. And then um, we did the Temescal. That was, that was very special. I felt kind of presence of a jaguar, which I didn't expect to experience there. It just came into my mind a little bit while I was. It's all dark, basically, completely dark. It gets very hot and you have rounds. So they'll bring in the stones from the fire into the into this um, little geodome tent. And uh, it's completely black. And the steam and the heat intensifies your body and creates um, kind of a mild stress response so that you're, you have to go within to kind of um, find yourself in that process. And there's a few stages. So they'll open the door, let some air in. It's all songs and you shaking instruments and yeah, it's, um, it's really special. And yeah, so we had that experience. That was really good. And then... So can yeah. I just ask you, what yeah. did you get out of that experience then personally? So for me, it was definitely connecting in with Jaguar spirit, which I didn't expect. And yeah. what did that feel like? <sighs> it felt new and it felt very primal mm-hmm. and it felt... Yeah, definitely felt like being connected to the land. So I didn't have any expectation of jaguar energy or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that that's a sacred animal there. And there are jaguars in the jungle there. And uh, yeah, so it felt felt primal and primordial at the same time, I guess. Yeah. And obviously if you were staying in the jungle and there are things like jaguars around, Mm. and I presume are there creepy crawlies and things? Yes. How did you manage that being in the dark and also you were away from technology? Because I know there was... 
a little bit of time where me and your mum were starting to get a little bit like, we haven't heard from Giles for a long time. We're missing him. We hope he's okay. We know he's okay, but it'd be nice to hear from him. Yeah. So, so what was that like? So that, that was amazing. So the day we had the Temescal was actually Boxing Day. So uh, we had a Mexican Christmas. Um, Christmas Day, we didn't really do that much. So we, we kind of just classed that as not Christmas Day. We celebrated on Boxing Day with the Temescal. We made that our Christmas. We spent a f- couple more days in Palenque. And one of the girls that was, um, well, the partner, she's called Cecile, of uh, the guy of, uh, that we went, went with in the car. And they, they introduced us to the friend who ran the Temescal. She told us about this place um, called La Ventana. That's near Palenque. And it's an ecological initiative of a, of a small family. Um, a mother, a father, and three little kids and the grandparents. And they've got this land in the jungle. And so this is where we went and stayed, where we had no electricity, okay. no signal, anything like that. And so we stayed there. We ended up staying for a week. We just thought it'd be a few days. So how do you even go about doing that then? Sort of, so you've made no plans. You've just gone there, which I don't know how you do that. I think there's been a really good balance in our dynamic and our friendship that you've helped me to be a bit more go with the flow. And probably I've helped you to be a little bit more organised when you've needed to be. Definitely. But that sounds really scary to me to go to a different country, not have any plans or expectations. But then how do you even meet a family and say, do you know what? I want to come and stay with you for a week. How does that happen? So I feel like that, unless you're really good at research and you've, you've know someone who knows something or I don't know, you find the information online or I don't know. I, I feel like if you plan too much, then it doesn't allow for those experiences because we didn't know about this place and the only reason we knew about this place is because we got a, a blah blah car which is which we found online when we were looking at buses because it's pretty big the southern part of Mexico and just getting around is sometimes you spend a whole day traveling you know wow. so it's yeah it is it's quite a lot so we we were planning to get a bus but then we saw that someone was doing a blah blah car um pick you up and take you to the place you pay a bit of money and um we weren't quite sure what that's what we wanted to do. And there was, there was one lady who was offering it, but it was at 4am and um, we were too late. Someone else had booked in at that point and we were like, oh, you know, that's a shame. That would have been good. But then the other couple that we ended up actually going with, they popped up after that point. So it, was, it felt quite aligned in some way. Like there was a natural flow and it's through those people that we learned about Leventana. So it, I guess... By not having the plan, you allow that. You still have to have some sort of direction when you, where you want to go, but it allows for things to unfold as you go. And that it's, it's like what life is like. Travel such a paradigm um, comparison to life is of a journey. It's a it's a trip. You don't know where you're going to go. It's it's unfolding as you walk. You know. So that was that was always like for us. Yeah. And I think that's amazing that you can do that to live so freely to go with the flow and like you say you get those magical amazing experiences and I know from spending time with you whenever we go anywhere as well as you like constantly touching things in shops and smelling (laughs) things you talk to so many people and it's such a gift that you've got that you're one of the friendliest people I know but you make so many connections and so many you have so many positive interactions with people and I think that's a real gift and like you say it takes you to the most remarkable places so I think that's amazing that it all happened that way. 
Oh, and that you ended you. up in the jungle. Yeah, it was amazing. So the jungle where we were, um, there weren't any jaguars to our knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I learned a lot about jaguars as the way they behaved and everything. They need, they need an insane amount of space. I can't remember the exact figure, but it's, it's at least in the hundreds of kilometers to each jaguars that's their territory and other jaguars can't you know once they become an adult that they create their own territories and that's that's their space basically so yeah i know they do operate over massive territories but yeah where we were it felt it did feel very safe there were creepy crawlies ants mostly okay. yeah didn't really see any dodgy spiders or anything like that we saw a lot of butterflies oh. yeah so you know mexico is quite generally one of the kind of connotations with mexico is about the butterflies people you know um there's yeah you've got the um there's the famous butterfly that that goes from america to mexico every four generations i believe they go to mexico to the same spot to all of them all go to the same spot again to breed again and so there's a four generational gap between that journey from when those butterflies go from mexico to america to the u.s and then come back. So everyone's like, well, how That's do they phenomenal. know? Yeah, That's it's fantastic, so cool. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So it's some kind of genetic memory or some kind of um, things we don't really completely understand yet. But yeah, and something I think beyond us. Things like that make me feel totally like inspired by the universe, like that awe and wonder that, yeah. wow, this is incredibly beautiful and complex. Yeah. And I think when you open yourself up to going on a journey, whether it's a personal journey or spiritual journey, or a physical journey like you have, you get so many opportunities presented to reconnect with the magic that's all around us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely a real privilege. And I'd say it's something that has influenced me, I think, in many ways. And from knowing Rose and knowing more about astrology and just my own astrology learnings over time is that Sagittarius is um, a sign that if someone has Sagittarius planets or um, there's quite a lot in astrology more than I realized before there's a lot going on there but yes um, Sagittarius is about traveling it's about that that journey and that's the process of of a philosophical um, unraveling mm -hmm. so through through the journey through the travel we become more ourselves or we learn more about ourselves or we we gain something or we become more in tune with ourselves and yeah I definitely felt Mexico provided that um, it was a bit of a shock coming back to the UK and then in the frost, definitely, yeah. Gosh, I bet yeah. that's such a change in temperature yeah. as well. Yeah, and energy as well. We just felt ourselves to be really just kind of um, hermetic, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, just resting a lot and everything, yeah. So yeah. what made you decide on Mexico in the first place? So it was actually Rose's idea. I was originally going to go to Ecuador because um, that's the place where we get the cacao from through Maria, Maria's cacao. And that was, that was my original plan. And then I met Rose over the summer and I've been working as a outdoor instructor over the summer in Scotland in the Highlands. And uh, my favorite thing was canoeing on the lock because it was just every time you got, as soon as you got in that boat on the water, it was always just peaceful. And everyone that I took out except some people fell in. So they weren't quite, maybe they didn't find it that peaceful. And to be fair, there were some days where it was very windy. Um, yeah, so, but generally it was a very peaceful time and that was, that was always, yeah. Um, that was always my favorite thing to do really. And I had a few 
I'm definitely, I think we both are one those kind of people who see signs and see them as an interconnected thing mm-hmm. and, and see them as a message. You know, we interpret reality as like, here's a message from a higher source or, you know, obviously some people don't believe that we're talking about that because that's normal for us, but some people don't recognize signs, you know, but yeah, I see, see patterns and connect them and, and make a story out of that. Um, and yeah, when I was on this, um, just paddling away on the lock, sometimes a lot of people get like to go there and have some beers, you know, around the locks. It's such a beautiful area, Loch Tay. It's really gorgeous. And, um, yeah, one day I was just paddling and there was a, a beer floating in the lock and right. I was like, what? And it was, the, the cap had been taken off, but the beer, because it was floating, it, it was completely full and I had, you could tell that it was just a pure beer. And it was a, it was a Mexican beer and it was just floating. I was like, it's really weird. It came next to the boat. And I was like, how did, how did that even happen? And then another day there was another beer, but this one had the, the top still on. And there, that was another Mexican beer. And then another day I took a group out and we, we stopped off at a beach. And um, there was all broken glass there. And uh, I just said, like, if anyone wants to help, you know, feel free. And so the whole group started picking up bits of glass off the beach. It was really, really great. Yeah, it was really good. And everyone got really into it. And then these two kids found another Mexican beer that had kind of sunken at the edge of the I love it that beer. you were getting the messages from the universe <laughs> yeah. in the form of beer. Yeah. <laughs> Floating Mexican beer. Yeah. Which is funny because I don't really drink. But yeah, it was... Um, but yeah, so that was that was the third time I was like, well, you know, three is a magic number. And I've I've had experiences before where it's been like three clear messages of like, you know, a calling or something. And it just kind of sat in my mind. I was like, oh, well, you know, it'd be great to go at some point. But, you know, I'm going to Ecuador kind of thing. And um, just getting to know Rose more and developing our relationship and her telling me she wanted to go to Mexico. And just it felt really aligned and we decided to go to go together so oh that's fantastic yeah. what a lovely journey and experience you've had yeah it was amazing that's yeah such a great story yeah it was great and I do realize I'm jumping between stories so just I'll jump back to the jungle mm-hmm. so we stayed in a cabana so a cabana is like a wooden house basically okay. uh on stilts mm-hmm. and um we just had this gorgeous jungle view and then it was a, basically a mountain that looked like a pyramid okay. um just in the distance and that we found that quite interesting because the pyramid just just near Mexico City, I think it's Te, Teotihuacan. I think it's called. There's a I've seen a picture on the internet from a hundred years ago. Um, someone took a picture and it's just it's a pyramid shaped mound covered with grass because it had been forgotten and and overgrown. And then they excavated and I was like, oh yeah, it actually is a pyramid. So sometimes I look at these natural, supposedly what's natural seems like natural forms in the landscape that are pyramid shaped. I sometimes wonder has someone looked underneath or Maybe I was having it. the exact same conversation with some friends last night. We oh, were really? talking about large sort of mounds in the earth and how you sometimes see them with just a completely flat top and then yeah. they have rings on them. Mm. And then we started talking about immense heat and petrified wood. And we were saying, wouldn't it be amazing if at some point they were actually gigantic tree stumps? And that's about as far as the conversation went, but it made me really think I'd love to explore more what's beneath the ground. So that's really fascinating and that the very next morning you're discussing that so yeah, maybe that's, that's something I need to be exploring more mm, love that yeah I think um from what I've seen I've also seen pictures it's interesting because obviously we've only had cameras for just over 100 maybe late, late 18, 1800s it started wasn't it um pictures and um yeah I've also seen pictures of of the trees from uh the redwood trees from California mm-hmm. and 
the ones they used to have were f- you see honestly you see pictures if you just type in redwoods old redwoods logging pictures i'm definitely going to do that then they're, after we finish this oh my god that un- they're unbelievable they're like they're yeah i i think everyone should search that yeah definitely. just to find out just to see if you haven't seen it already just how big those trees were and and just the concept of like do we have loads of baby trees basically yeah you know in most parts of the world they're like we maybe don't have as many of these ancient ancient trees and that that's something to remember of like what we're building now is you know with the right intentions for the future will mean that the tree energy of the earth will be stronger so we have to remember that with you know and once again we had this exact same conversation last night about tree energy Mm. and the importance of it so that's incredible love that yeah i'm big on tree energy love it so back to your story oh yeah great (laughs) (laughs) tangents um so yeah we spent a week in the jungle we planned maybe three days so how we found out about this place was through the the lady Cecile that we did the Temescal with and we got the the ride with and um, the reason that she told us about the place was because we asked about a um, a tree called Patashti which is the native name for it yeah so there's Theobroma bicolor which is Patashti and the other Theobroma which is cacao so they're related and I've been reading this book History of Chocolate the true history of chocolate and uh, this book was saying about the ancient ways that they would drink cacao because cacao, if anyone doesn't know, cacao is pure chocolate. So it's, it's, uh, it's from purely from the beans of the tree, um, roasted to a low, te- and if it's done the right way, it's roasted to a low temperature. It's sung to as the, the beans are being roasted. Someone should be singing well, to it. So they sing to it to to create more magical energy and more healing energy from the cacao, which it naturally has within it and wants to give. So there's um, people talk of a spirit of cacao. They call it ish cacao, which is a, a feminine goddess, basically. of It's how maybe you'd imagine Mother Earth to be. It's that the pregnant kind of giving, nurturingness, yeah, of the cacao. And um, yeah, so we... We'd read about this in the book, how the native people of the Mayan culture used to drink the cacao and they'd, they'd actually have it with this patashte. And um, like, oh, patashte, you know, like searching on the internet, it's almost like a, an unknown, relatively unknown thing. There's a few articles about it. No one's selling. No, we couldn't really find anyone selling much of it anyway. And um, yeah, it was just interesting to read that it was a core element of, of how they would drink cacao. And then now it's not. And then with with cacao, we, it's known as ceremonial cacao, and that's that's the grade of when um, when it's not heated too too much, and it's it's gra- hand ground generally. It'll be hand ground into a paste, and um, and then tempered into a block, and that's that's when it becomes ceremonial grade, and that's when you can make it into a drink, and it's a heart opening, expansive. And I've experience. had some of your cacao, and it's absolutely incredible. The first time I tried it, wasn't so keen. Um, but I think that's because you'd added so much spice and I'm not so good at that. And so it was really hot and it burnt my mouth. And I think you offered it to all of us at hypnotherapy. Yeah. And a few of us like pulled a bit of a face like, mm, we don't want to offend you, but we're not quite sure on this. Yeah. But then after out. that, you sort of tamed down the spice a bit. Yeah. And now I absolutely love it. I don't make it as well as you, but I've got a block of it in my cupboard from you and it, it's just amazing. It's special, isn't it? It is. Um, yeah, I really love it. It's, it's been a really great journey of 
how powerful it is for heart opening and connecting into that heart space every day. And it was something, the first time it kind of really came up was at a festival last, well, just a uh, year before last now, 20, 2021, I went to a festival called uh, All About Love. And at that festival, there was a guy do, there doing a, a workshop. I can't remember his name. He was great, though. He's doing a, it's called Worry of the Heart Workshop. Right. I think he's written a book roughly with the same name. And um, he was just saying about basically just got to live in the heart and that everything's fixed at that point, you know? And it, it was like, yeah. And that 100%. makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because you think about energetically, yeah. the heart sort of in the body sort of helps to govern the lower three chakras, which are all about your basic urges, your survival, and then your higher chakras which are all about that connection to source, that higher energy. So it's sort of that link that connects everything together. Wow, such a good point. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah, he was saying about living in the heart, and I, was, I actually asked at the end of the talk, because I didn't have any questions, I was like, you know, it sounds great, I want to live in the heart. I was like, but how do you do it? And he, he was just like, you just, you just do it, you just live in the heart. And I just couldn't, it wasn't quite working for me, and I was like, well, I can't, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't get the answer I was looking for. There was a girl next to me. She was a really interesting girl, and she said, "Oh, by the way, have you heard about cacao?" And I was like, "No, I don't don't really know anything about it." She just told me, "Yeah, it's it's a heart opening experience. Is what it does." And um, since then, I've researched, and this is scientific, um, scientifically known. There's a there's a property in cacao called theobromine. Theo is um, Latin, I believe, name for God. And it's like a God like awakening substance, but it's, um, it opens up the heart. It actually physically does that as well. Um, and it, you can feel it energetically and, and what, what I would call spiritually, you can, f you can feel that as well. There's, there's a perceivable heart-centered expanding experience mm -hmm. um, involved with physical healing as well, which is amazing. And um, yeah, she told me about that. And then I, I met Maria from... Um, Ayapacha cacao from where we got our cacao and uh that's where I had my first real cacao experience with her and yeah it's phenomenally phenomenal experience yeah and I think it's a really good point to make it it's about having an experience with it so it's yeah. very different isn't it to just go and making yourself a cup of coffee or a cup of tea yeah. it's all about really appreciating and connecting with it to get yeah. the most from the experience yeah, and yeah, yeah. I love how you've really spoke about that and incorporated that in the work that you're doing mm, thank you very much yeah, I really feel because if you if you just make make a cacao, you know, the same way you'd make it in a ceremonial way, and a ceremonial way doesn't mean you have to have a ceremony. It just means, like you said, you take time to honor it, you set some intentions, you you meet it halfway. Basically, that's what I feel. You, I should be calling it her. Basically, cacao is her. Uh, you meet her halfway, so she's wanting to give you that heart opening experience, and. If, if you just make a cup and drink it and be like, ah, oh, just make one, boom, you know, you don't really get that much. You get a little bit of an experience from it, definitely. But you don't get that, you actually don't get as much. You don't, you know, it's half the experience really because you put in half the effort, so to speak. And it's half coming from the cacao, but the other side is the half of, yeah, taking time, saying an intention, get your cup, taking some space, maybe with a friend, you know, a heart to heart kind of time or heart to heart with yourself. Um, breathe in the cacao, take some sips, make it exactly how you want it, create a ritual around it. And it's when you do that regularly, it really, it creates this, you don't even have to do it regularly every now and then even, but it, it creates such a more powerful experience. Um, yeah. 
It's really, and I think that's a really important thing. I don't think in our society, I think because we're so busy, we're rushing around from different activity, jobs, busy life. We don't experience the food that we're putting in our mouths, the drink that we're having. It's something that we shovel down ourselves, but you get so much more from being in the experience and being mindful of it. And I think also for people that are listening today, I'd really recommend you do that. Obviously, ideally get yourself some cacao because it's amazing. But if not, even with your cup of tea or when you're having a meal, just taking your time to actually be fully absorbed in the process because it helps the body to feel amazing and the mind to settle. It's um, consciousness, isn't it? Applying the awareness that we have. And, and uh, I was flicking over a book last night and um, it was talking about consciousness and the fact that everyone's got an equal level of it to some degree, you know, of, a, of awareness. We all, we're all aware. We're all human. We all have a human level of awareness. So there's no, there's no barriers, basically. Anyone can apply awareness to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, they can, we can all be aware of our actions. So if we if we do something and, you know, we, let's say we get angry about something, we all have awareness to look at ourselves honestly within and look, you know, do, is this anger justified? Do I need to be angry? What's the source of this anger? And uh, I came across a quote from, it's more of a little story actually from, uh, I don't know how to say his name, Chichnatkin, I think something like that. Okay. And um, he recently passed away, but he was a very special spiritual leader of, of our time um very much about heart centeredness and mindfulness he would take people on walks and it would just be one step at a time slowly nothing else just being aware of walking turning you can turn anything to a meditation really when you think about it and um yeah he's telling a story about being um man goes on out on a boat into the middle of a lake on his own mm-hmm. meditates in a boat for hours and finds like peace and tranquility He's got his eyes closed and then he feels the force of another boat hitting into him, a little wooden boat. And before he opens his eyes, he's very angry at the fact that someone carelessly would bump into him, you know, while he's in this boat and he's in this complete state of serenity. And um, he's angry, you know, he really wants to tell this person, like, how dare you, you know, was, you know, you ruined my peace. He opens his eyes and looks and it's an empty boat that, had, that was untethered. that got, you know, pushed over towards him. And then at that moment, this person in the story achieved self-realization and realized that the boat was em- the boat's empty. There's no, there's no one controlling the boat that causes the anger. The anger comes from within. And so from that point, this person, whenever someone would do something that would usually irritate, he just saw it as like a boat without a tether and that actually anger is coming from within to kind of recognize that and take responsibility for those feelings as they're not it's not an external, it's actually from within. It's, and that's, that's really empowering when you recognise that because when you become aware that that's within, yeah. it then means you've got control. You've yeah. got the power that if you choose to, to change it and do something different. And you might need some help and support with that, but it gives you that opportunity, doesn't it, to reflect and to learn and grow. And I think what I really like is as we have these conversations, more and more people are becoming aware of that. I think we're in a real age now of, developing self-awareness and as you say we've all got that potential and I think we're moving much closer to it which is great yeah it's very good yeah and it's interesting the age that we're living in because from one angle you know it can be doom and gloom and from another angle it can be you know all singing joy really and obviously there's both Mm -hmm. to some degree and there's you know we 
we have to be aware of the suffering in the world, you know, yeah. like a lot of people are suffering, but also that we're becoming closer to a place of, of meeting that in positive ways, I believe. You know, we've got, if you want to have access to a meditation on YouTube, you've got, you've got it, it's there. You know, if you want to learn a language you can, or, you know, if you want to learn how to deal with trauma, there's ways and, you know, there's a lot more of this awareness and cogn cognizance of, with traumas, for example, you know, it used to be something, especially in Britain, this stiff upper lip kind of, you know, that, that ancestral baggage of, of all of this trauma that, that generally gets passed on from generation to generation has been kind of put away in the darkness where it, it becomes worse, you know, it, it gets worse. And then now we're, we're in, in an age where people are like, you know, we want to deal with that. We don't want to pass it on to our children. We're, we're embracing that. And that's, that's why people are more wanting to become therapists and, you know, and, and do what we're doing and in all the ways. And obviously, you know, that's not the only challenge of our time. There's, there's always the challenge and there's the challenge of the earth and the connection to the great mother and the mother earth and generally our connection to nature and our connection to our body because they're connected, you know, it's the environment of ourselves. And, you know, that's, that's all, that's all what we have to face at this time, but it's not, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, it's too late. It's too late for the earth. I don't think it's ever too late. No. I think we've always got opportunities. It's just yeah. us taking action when we see those opportunities. Yeah. And I really like the way that you've brought up so many points there so very quickly. Mm. And I think, like you say, the micro and the macro. So yeah. if we heal and work upon ourselves, it makes us more loving, more giving, more aware of what goes on around us. But then it puts us in a place of service so that we can be helping and supporting the wider world around us. Mm. And like I say, we've got all our access to meditations, understanding information. And from you reading some articles through talking to people, you ended up going all the way to Mexico, being in the jungle, connecting with beautiful plant medicine. That's incredible. Yeah. It's what an amazing experience. Mm, yeah, it was amazing. So did you get to meet this plant that you were going to find? Um, so we, we didn't, well, we didn't meet the tree because the, the pods. So the interesting thing about potash day compared to cacao is that the pods only grow once a year, right. whereas cacao grows all, all year round. So we had a great, we had some great times meeting the cacao tree because we've never met one before. And it's been such a, a gift in, in my personal journey and, you know, people who are close to me and Rose as well, you know, we, we love cacao and we believe in it and believe in the message of what it's bringing to the world, you know? And, um, so yeah, that was, that was amazing seeing, seeing the cacao tree and just a short tree, maybe slightly bigger than us. Um, the pods grow actually out of the trunk, oh, wow. which is completely different to, to any tree in Britain that I'm aware of It's I think it's how a lot of jungle, jungle trees behave. Um, it's just what they do for whatever reason. Yeah. It is, isn't it? And um, yeah, they've got these tiny little white flowers and that's where the, beet, the pod starts to grow. Oh, yeah. And we found out actually um, the thing that pollinates uh, the flowers, the, the, what all chocolate in any form depends on is the midge. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Little midges. Yeah. So they're, they're the pollinators. They're the only insect smaller, pollinating insects small enough that can get into the tiny, tiny white flowers that, that grow the pods. Yeah. 
So um, that was great. But we, we went on a real journey of learning about cacao, which was amazing, which was why I would have gone to Ecuador. That was the strong reason to go to Ecuador as well, to actually go to the place where the cacao comes from. That was like the kind of inverted commas logical thing that I would have done, you know, because of that's the cacao that I'm working with and everything that would make sense. But it definitely felt like Mexico was where we were meant to go. And um, that's what I believe. I have a friend, Solvay, she won't mind me saying this, but she always laughs about meant to be or meant to go. She's like, oh, I don't believe in meant to go. So every time I say it, I always laugh about her laughing about that. But yeah, I believe, I do believe in that. And um, we were, yeah, while we were in Mexico, um, we had a journey of learning about cacao and the potash day. We, we had some cacao mixed with potash day. We drank that. We stayed with this man who's called the Abuelo. I'm getting ahead of the story now. Maybe I'll tell you about that <laughs> after. But yeah. Um, but yeah, so the place where we stayed in Laventana in the jungle called Laventana, um, it's on Google Maps. So, you know, that was reassuring that we that meant we could at least find where she was talking about, find the number to contact them. So we messaged them on WhatsApp. We didn't realize, but actually they have... Um, they have a solar panel at this place and then every couple of there's a couple of hours a day on some days they get a wi-fi signal through some kind of a solar powered device yeah we actually didn't know about that the whole time so we never actually went over to ask them to use that <laughs> but that's how we got in touch with them while they lived in the jungle and um yeah so we got in touch and just said we'd love to come stay and they were like yeah we've got a cabana come stay they provide the food and uh, they would invite us to the meals with blowing on the conch shell, which comes from the Caribbean coast. Uh, I think on also on the Pacific coast, I might be wrong on that. But anyway, they um, they blow the conch shell because our cabana would be far from, from where their area is, where they've got this little um, natural kitchen. You know, it's all open and uh, mud and it's got all the leaves on top. And it's really, really lovely. They've got an open fire where they cook on and everything. So they blow on the conch shell and that would, you know, that'd be our oh, breakfast. You know, we'd go like, yeah, there were sometimes some nights where we, cause it got dark early. It's still Northern, okay. Northern hemisphere. So it would get dark around 6.37. Oh, that is quite early, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So around, yeah, 6.37. So sometimes we'd, cause it's, it's so dark. There's no electricity. There's nothing. It's just sound of the jungle and crickets, you know, this chorus of crickets is, it's almost like your consciousness starts to blend with the crickets at night because it's this constant hum. You know, if it, it's hard to describe, actually. It's kind of like a fan in a room, you know. Some people like to sleep with fans because it helps them to sleep easier. It's that constant sound, but it's a certain frequency with the crickets. It really feels like you're getting, you're getting part of the jungle after a while, you know. It's, it's such it's, an immersive experience you've so had, isn't immersive. it? immersive, yeah. It was really, really special. It's definitely... If I go back to Mexico or I go to somewhere where they've got jungle, it's going to be a key focal point more, more than going between. Sometimes you have to go between towns or cities anyway to get to another spot. But there are some places where we could have just, you know, avoided and just like not gone to the cities and just focused more on a jungle experience. I just feel you get so much from it. And in obviously our world of, you know, lights, bright lights at night and technology and stimulation and busyness and everything to get to, to somewhere where there's tranquility and nothing else is i don't really know how to describe it but it's fundamental i believe to have that experience 
sometimes at least and do you feel that when you had that experience you adapted to it instantly because you were sort of already exploring or did it take you a bit of time to settle into it because it's so different to life here I think it took it took a few days to get on a deeper level of relaxation I think definitely you get there and you're like oh wow you know this is lovely it's relaxing but there's layers of relaxation that I've started to recognize and um yeah just letting go of expectation and because a lot of our trip was like oh we need to make sure we do this we want to make the most of the trip and everything and I I think I think there's a little bit of a, for me anyway there's a slight fallacy in that logic or that way of thinking with traveling because it can lead to kind of this grab and go experience based traveling of oh, we need to go here to see this and go here to do that and like oh we have to do that and like some things I really feel like you know really important to go but other things maybe maybe it is just a thing because it's a thing and that's the next thing on on the route or something and that that can be great for a different style of experience but yeah I just really feel getting to a place that's pure nature and and tranquil you know there, there are places in Britain like it of, of course but the jungle is very like you say immersive and um biologically rich environment so yeah that was it's just yeah pretty I'd say quite life-changing for sure mm. yeah you seem to have come back differently I mean and the whole time I've known you you've been growing and evolving so much you're so different to when I met you a couple of years ago mm. um but once again you've come back a different person and it's so wonderful to hear what's gone on and it, it's been a positive experience for you yeah oh, thank you so you're in the jungle yeah it was dark it was night it was yeah. very peaceful yeah then what happened Okay, so yeah, back to that. So yeah, sometimes at night we'd be waiting for dinner and because there's no lights, no candles, no electricity, anything like that, sometimes we'd have a little candle on and then sometimes we wouldn't and we'd sometimes just lay and listen to the crickets. And to be honest, once it got dark, you're actually just wanting to sleep because there's not all of this artificial light and everything. It's actually, I think maybe we don't sleep enough in the winter because, you know, the darkness is our natural, like, get close to bedtime and obviously you know when I was a teenager I would stay up late into the morning and that would be that would be my space for tranquility and everything so obviously I understand everyone's different but I noticed this complete shift in circadian rhythm even a short period of time of you know it felt right to be tired as soon as it got like basically just after it got dark and just be ready to sleep you know but but during the first few days we um we would be it would get dark and we'd be waiting for the food for them to call the food um with the conch shell and it was quite fun we, you know we're excited like oh, let's go get our food that was quite fun but actually what happened was um both of us got um st our stomachs wouldn't we'd basically lost our appetite um after a couple of days and um rose pointed out that it was my saturn return so if anyone doesn't know what saturn return is it's Basically, when you're born, Saturn, which is, I believe, like a really massive planet and also considered the greater malefic. So greater malefic means it's the largest, it's the, the two malefics are Saturn and Mars. And Mars is considered lesser malefic. But malefics, basically, they cause what one might consider bad things, but actually it's part of your growth. So it's one of those. Um, but a Saturn return is, is Saturn returning to the same point generally a 29 year cycle of when you were born so at the moment I'm 29 so anyone who's listening who's around that age just be aware that something might take place that's um 
because of that. And it, and could does be it tend to be like to unsettling or big life-changing events. Though? Yeah, yeah. And it will basically be, Rose has been telling me about this, um, it will basically be, depending on which house Saturn is in, so the houses are basically just, um, <laughs> are basically just different ways of, of how we interact with the world. And, um, and so if Saturn, Saturn's in a certain house, that means it will have a certain interaction with you during a Saturn return. So for some people it could, it could be, it could affect family or it could affect their work or their identity or anything like that. For me, it was affecting my body a lot. That was like where the impacts were of Saturn having its return. Um, so I could, you know, definitely relate to that. So yeah, my body was being, I basically didn't eat for three days. Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, and it was, it was actually really good. I felt like it was like some kind of a system reboot, so to speak. Um, and because we weren't moving at all, you know, just resting, um, we go down to the, to the river for a swim every day. That was like the thing uh, during that time. So because I could just lay and rest, I just really, I, I avoided any stimulation. I wasn't even really fancying reading books at that time, you know. I just kind of just allow myself just to rest and everything. So yeah, that was three days of not eating. And then on the fourth day, I got a bit more appetite. And then so I ate some fruit, mostly jungle fruit, like from the bananas, from the, the local bananas and everything. That was great. They taste completely different to what we get in the supermarkets. Oh they're, they're completely different. The shape's different. They're, they're quite uh, thick and almost diamond kind of shape um and the color's different if you when you take a bite it's got these like seed marks inside that looks like a little smiley face oh Can we smile I back yeah it's so cute like you take a bite it's like a smiley face um and the enzymes rose pointed out the enzymes so if you eat and then just like, eat a bit and leave it 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 will completely change form over t- like, quite quickly and um, it's just to show like the liveness of, of that particular banana. Like when it's picked ripe, you know, it's picked at the perfect time. It's not taken green and then ripened. You know, it's like an unnatural process the way we eat bananas. This was, yeah, just amazing. And um, so that fourth day, just ate fruit. And uh, at this point, Rose had been on and off eating as well. Um, she was going through a little, little thing with, with herself. And um, yeah, by the evening of the fourth night, um, I did some healing on Rose. I was doing some Reiki, which I also did my Reiki level two with, with you, Debbie. Um, so I was doing a bit of Reiki on Rose and um, tuning into her body and feeling around uh, energetically for, for things. And um, at one point she said, can you, can you sense if there's anything physically in or on my body that shouldn't be there? And I just, I somehow developed this ability to actually sense or have a kind of knowing of something that wasn't quite right for her body. And she has this gorgeous um, rose-shaped ring that her dad had got her on her right ring finger. Never mentioned anything about it before other than that it was nice between each other. And I was just like, yeah, you're right. Your right hand, right finger, that's what I'm getting. And then I, we both, oh yeah, of course, that's the ring, the uh, rose ring. She's like, oh yeah, it's actually um, been bent and I think it's constricting her ring, uh, her actual finger. And um, yeah, I've, actually, I think I do need to take that off. And then there were a couple of other things as well. And um, they were, there, was, there was one in particular, she wouldn't mind me saying, was um, she had a, um, 
a root canal done once, which oh. I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And she's like, where else in my body? And I was like, yeah, I'm getting kind of like up here in your jaw. And she's like, right, and what is it? And I was like, all I could see in my mind was like a needle coming down into her jaw. And she was like, wow, wow, that's like fascinating because that's where she had the root canal done. So whatever had happened, something had changed that I, at that point where I could actually see, you know, what, what a ish in ailment was to so almost through that cleansing of your body and sort of eliminating the foods it was a reset and, and yeah. allowed you to enhance your sort of perception beyond those five normal everyday yeah. senses that we have yeah yeah and then the reiki as well was a lot stronger i felt it really felt like rose was she was saying as well that it was moving the energetic blocks within her and um yeah it was very interesting as well because during that time when we were both sick together butterflies were coming into so the if I could paint a picture in your mind of this place it's a cabana so it's wooden stilts wooden frame about up to halfway and then there's like a metal uh, mesh wire mesh so you can see outside and there's no curtains at night or anything like that it's just complete mesh all around and then um, wooden beams up at the top so you're always you're out in the jungle air basically all the time and everything so when you you know when you're going to bed at night you can you know you can watch the sun set gradually and you know everything's in, in oh, harmony with nature oh it was amazing it was incredible and um yeah I felt the kind of jaguar energy came through again a bit and I had just before that actually gone for a healing because I had once damaged my rib um did a work experience in Iceland for my course uh, outdoor leadership course went to Iceland for a week and um, I know, sorry, outdoor adventure course, went to Iceland for a week. And um, yeah, I tried to do a backflip. I can't do backflips. <laughs> I don't know why I tried it. It was, it was actually like thinking about it, it was like, it was pretty That's silly. such a Giles thing know, to yeah. do. <laughs> but I thought I was in a real, I was in an experience of pushing boundaries, you know? Yeah. And it's just with, I think what I've learned is I, with my own boundaries, like sometimes I think I'll... I'll, I'll go extreme with my boundaries and then be like, oh no, that's too far. You know, like I push all the way out until I recognize like, oh no, that's the edges of my boundaries. Sometimes when I go through this boundary expanding kind of experience. And uh, yeah, there was a, a lady, we were basically by a glacial river doing, uh, helping these guys out with uh, um, rafting tours. And um, they were jumping off the cliff into the, into the water one by one. This girl was like, oh yeah, try it back. She's going about doing backflips. Like, oh, it's easy, it's easy. And she just did one. It was like good nine to 10 meters high, which, you know, if you land wrong, it's actually not good for your body. And she was just doing them. She's like, I'll oh, go for it, go for it. And I was like, oh, you know, I should really push my boundaries here. Like, why not? And I was like there, like building myself up for about, honestly, about five minutes. Cause I'm actually not a big fan of heights either. So doing a backflip off a height when I don't do backflips <laughs> was a bit, a bit of a challenge. So anyway, I tried to do a backflip fluffed it completely landed on my side and it hurt my rib basically and um did something to my rib it was it was actually like not great for a while a few months and then it it was fine after that (laughs) and since rose and i had done all the yoga it actually activated that as some kind of a muscle muscle contraction or tear something had happened there anyway muscular that had activated from this so i had to i i basically couldn't sleep and everything like that stretching was helping but it was also at the same time making it worse so I went for a healing with a guy that I found, I found this guy randomly as well. And uh, he offered 
healings for he thought he learned from his grandfather which was a mix of acupuncture but not with needles with jaguar tooth Whoa. yeah um and body work um you know like chiropractic realignment kind of stuff energetic work a bit of a mix eclectic mix of those kind of things and um he had a guy there that was training that he was helping him and he was called jaguar this guy he came and picked me up on his motorbike and uh went down this sort of like bumpy roads and everything and as we were coming down the road there was a jaguar and uh, jaguar uh, a uh, eagle in the tree and he's like oh that's a blessing you know and as we went on the way back there was an owl in the tree and everything but yeah i had a healing with him he was using this jaguar tooth and using this jaguar kind of energy of the way he was like kind of he'd dig his nails in and kind of you know take on the persona of the jaguar to help relief and release all of this energy. And he, he's using the jaguar tooth as what you call like opening up portals. So where there's tension, he'd get me to breathe in deep. Then he'd say like, breathe out. And then he'd put the jaguar tooth into the, into my skin. It's, it's pretty sharp. You know, it's not like razor sharp, but it's, it's a sharp sensation. It sounds a little bit painful to be honest. Yeah, it was, it was painful. <laughs> um, but it was, it was amazing. It was really good. So I felt a bit more connected to the jaguar spirit then. And then while we were in the jungle, the Jaguar spirit came through again with the healing and I actually used his technique. I felt like a calling to use it. So I used it on Rose and, you know, dug the claws in and kind of did some kind of like that kind of work. And she said that really helped her release some stuff as well. So it definitely felt like a kind of awakening of that, that energy in some way. Yeah. Right. So let's jump a little further forward in your story. Um, so you met a gentleman that you went to work with, with the cacao? Yes, yes. So we learned about him from the lady that we stayed with at Laventana uh, called Nancy. Um, she's a native Mayan lady as well. She told us about him and he's uh, what's called an abuelo, which is a grandfather. It's a Spanish word for grandfather. And he's um, a cacao, ancient cacao shaman. He, he does cacao in the ancient, ancient ways. Um, he's in the region of Tabasco. Um, which is one of the largest region, regions where they grow cacao in Mexico. And cacao, um, it's exported chocolate-wise. You know, it's, it's not really, there's not really much um, ceremonial cacao from Mexico, which is one of the kind of things that I found intriguing about it, because actually the cacao tree supposedly um, came from Mexico originally. And that's where the, like, it started and it was spread out a bit more and everything like that. Um, and it's a part of the culture there, of the Mayan culture. It's like a massive part of their culture, historically anyway. We did notice it was hard to find ceremonial cacao. It's, um, and the people that we spoke to that were aware of it were like, yeah, it's basically a bit more underground than it should be. And uh, definitely saw the kind of contrast of some areas where we went, where like the Coca-Cola van came, was dropping off all the Coca-Cola and I think there's one region in Mexico, for whatever reason, is one of the highest regions where they drink Coca-Cola, but they also have the bottling plant quite close somewhere in Mexico that's a bottling plant, so maybe it makes it cheaper or something. But just saw that contrast of this, um, you know, of a sacred healing plant medicine compared to Coca-Cola, which, you know, doesn't need any, any more of, a, of, a, of an, an annual, explanation. Yeah, yeah. explanation, yeah. exactly. So. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, in Mexico, it was underground. We had to ask certain people. We had to we had to go on our own journey with which it. Is which so is so strange, isn't it, when you say if it's 
came from that place in the first place. Yeah. Just, yeah, I wonder yeah. why. Yeah, it's mad. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was brought, obviously brought over from, from the Americas back, back from originally the Spanish brought it over to Europe. And that, you know, when, when it first got brought over, it, it was, it was being drunk as the natives had drunk it. And it was, it was, um, it was the aristocracy of Europe that were drinking it before tea or before coffee. You know, that, that was, that was the drink. And it was, you know, there were, there were clergymen arguing over whether a fast, you know, during, um, um, certain fasting times of, of Christianity, whether if they drink cacao, is that breaking their fast or not? And then should they drink cacao? And, you know, as all of this, because it, it awakens things within you. It's got that awakening potential. And, you know, so obviously it would, Interesting history. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? And um, obviously in Europe, we we changed that drink and it became, it was more expensive than coffee and tea. So coffee and tea became more what, what people go out and drink, tea and coffee houses. But it used to be chocolate houses. Chocolate houses used to be the place where a lot of politics would take place. You know, you would meet at the chocolate house and that's where, you know, rebellions would start. So I believe it was Oliver Cromwell. It might not. I think it was Oliver Cromwell might have shut down some of the chocolate houses at one point. Yeah, I think it was Oliver Cromwell anyway. Um, anyway, yeah, so going on this journey in Mexico and just not finding ceremonial cacao anywhere and finding bits of cacao here and there, going on a complete journey of like learning about it from kind of from the ground up, you know, kind of way. Um, we went to see this guy in Tabasco, the Abuelo, and um, he had loads of trees, loads of cacao, and he was producing his own very small batch ceremonial cacao. And um, he took us out to the trees. We stayed with him. We had a room that stayed with him. We ate with him. He gave us the drink with the potash day, which was lovely. It tasted almost like a nutty coconut milk. It, as you know, with the coconut, uh, with the cacao we do for the shows, we add coconut milk to make it more of a creamy experience for people. With the potash day, it felt like it had coconut milk in. It was like, felt like a really balancing to the to the cacao so i can see why that would have been the the choice back in the day because it can be quite bitter can't it on its own yeah yeah and it's quite nice to have that edge of creaminess that you know people get with with milk usually um and yeah we stayed with him and he had he had a farm he had uh peacocks in his garden like white peacocks he had a beautiful mural on the wall mexico is full of amazing street art wall art everywhere we had a mural on the wall of the um, the Mayan calendar. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had that on the wall. That was great. And yeah, he took us out to the trees. We connected with the trees. And he started to show us something really fascinating, which, um, which is how, is what he makes his ceremonial cacao from. So ceremonial cacao is different to normal chocolate because of the way that it's grown, um, the way that it's treated, and the way that it's produced as well. All of these factors come into play. One of the main things from the growing process is monocrops is like, never you never have a monocrop. Monocrop plantations generally destroy ecosystems and it's, it's not in harmony with nature. So to be ceremonial cacao has to be in harmony with the earth and with nature and with the community and everything like that. So this man, he had local people working in his, living in his house. He was like, he had a family who was basically kind of like his family, but yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. You could see the real closeness there and, um, took us out to the trees and, uh, yeah, the ceremonial cacao that he made, which it's fascinating. I never heard of this before. He was getting, he was showing us the pods 
And um, when the when the cacao pods reach a certain age, a lines lines start to I don't know. It's it's like someone drawing lines, wiggly lines on on the pods. They just start to move around. I don't really know the scientific process of why that happens, but it's really fascinating. So we see he was showing us these pods. He's like, yeah, you see these lines all moving around, and um, they would sometimes take on a shape of an animal. He's like, yeah, do you see like what do you see here? I was like, oh yeah, it looks like a dog. He's like, yeah. You know, we we consider that as a sign that that's a special pod for a particular reason. It's your spiritual connection to that. So he'll take that pod and that will be used for the ceremonial cacao rather than the normal cacao, you know, just daily cacao. And um, and there was another one he took us to. He's like, what do you see here? I was like, oh, yeah, it's a a rabbit. Keneal, they call it, a rabbit. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was another one. And it was amazing. And at one point we just sat down on this tree or tree trunk. And he was just like, he, he didn't speak any English. And we unfortunately only speak conversational, well, no, sorry, not conversational Spanish, getting by Spanish, which has always been fine for ordering things, getting places, all of that. But when you want to have an actual deep chat with someone, we were de- debilitated. So we would translate sometimes on our phone and uh, pass him the translator. And he just said, just um, close your eyes and just listen and feel the spirit of of the trees here and we just did that for a while it was incredible yeah he took us round to there was a sacred tree in in their culture called uh, Siba um really big it's got the roots are um they come out and they come high yeah they're kind of triangular roots coming out and that's a sacred tree apparently it usually has 13 of these roots which is a sacred number for the Mayan people yeah which also happens to be the moon cycle of the year Basically, the Mayan calendar, what we learned as well, is that it's all, it's focused around Venus. It's a 52-year, Venus has a 52-year cycle. I'm not sure of what, but it's a 52-year cycle. Um, and I guess around the Earth, maybe. And um, that's split up into uh, smaller cycles of 13. And that's that's like how they, they go. They're, they're, the way they see the world is um, every 13 days, it begins a new 13-day cycle. And that each day has a certain energy about it. And so they imbue each day with that particular energy of spirit of the feathered serpent, which is dragon energy or spirit. And like the, day, the fifth day, which is what I was born on, is the Kenyal day. It's the day of the rabbit. You know, there's, there's these certain days for certain things. And yeah. That's so beautiful that to have that deeper meaning, isn't it? And I think as I'm listening to you, what I find incredible is through different cultures and different civilizations, there's these same reoccurring patterns in slightly different ways, how they recognise the spirit of animals and the different qualities that they bring, mm. how we focus on moon cycles and the planets and how they have an interaction. Yeah. And also when you've been talking about the healing that you had a little while ago, how through different cultures they're finding the same methods that work. So, for example, we've got acupuncture in China, yeah. but... They're using that jaguar tooth mm. to produce the same effect on those different points. I find it absolutely phenomenal. And it sounds like you learned so much being part of that experience. Yeah, it was really, really incredible. And it, it's such a good point. I actually just thought of um, dragons as well. You know, the feathered serpent is a dragon spirit. And the, the monuments are Kukulkan or um, otherwise known as Quetzalcoatl. And that's that's the feathered dragon, all colourful feathered dragon serpent. You know that that evolved in that culture, 
And then you've got the Eastern, Eastern traditions of dragons evolved uniquely in their culture, you know, as a prominent, you know, they have heard this concept of China call themselves the children of the dragon. That's, you know, they're so like dragons, one of their key, you know, key, key things about themselves. British culture, you've got dragon history there. You're in Europe, you know, throughout all different places, there's a dragon energy coming about in, in these different places. And you and I both feel really connected to that dragon energy, which yeah. we're going to have to go into another day, I think, because okay. we've still got so much more, obviously, that we'll want to share with everybody. True. Um, but soon you're going to have to go, aren't you? Because you've got a lecture this afternoon. I yeah, I could definitely say a bit more about the grandfather, the abuelo, and learning about him. So he's, he's considered a Mayan daykeeper. So he understands the Mayan calendar. And Rose was looking for someone to learn from because she's interested in astrology. And obviously that's a, their form of astrology as well. And um, so he's the, he's the Mayan daykeeper, Mayan cacao elder. He's considered as a cacao elder. He's, um, we were asking him about the, well, actually he asked us about people. He's heard about people in Europe doing cacao ceremonies. He was like, what are, what are people doing? What are these cacao ceremonies? And I was just like, you know, quite often it's just getting people together, having some cacao and creating kind of like a healing journey. You know, it's quite often it's just... I it's, bet he was horrified. Yeah, he? he was. He was like, what? You know, because for him, he's actually a very traditional guy. He's, he's just like, ah, well, in our culture, you know, um, only the one who grows the cacao can run the cacao ceremony. When he showed me pictures of a cacao ceremony, it was it was about a thousand things in this circle and everyone was around the circle and these were all offerings to the earth and to cacao spirit. You know, it was, wasn't a light undertaking and it w wouldn't happen very regularly, you know? Um, so obviously there's a difference in what he considers a ceremony. Um, and yeah, he also said that only a, a Mayan elder who knows the, the, he's a day keeper, who knows the ways of the Mayan calendar. Can, and who obviously grows the cacao can do the ceremony has to be a man he said it can't be a woman that's traditional and we just i just found it really interesting and then he was he had some of these cacao blocks he had these very small ones of, of this special stuff with the from the pods that have animals on and we wanted to try it out um so we bought bought a small block from him a small packet but while we were talking about buying it and uh he was kind of to me, suggesting that we can't have any unless we use it in this traditional way. And that was kind of what I thought. And then Rose decided to ask again, so can we buy some? And he was like, yeah, yeah. So we were a bit confused at that point as to what his expectations were of what we're going to do with the cacao. Because obviously we don't believe that it should still be limited to one culture and one particular... Especially when it's got so many healing benefits. Especially, yeah. And I, I think it's the time, and many cultures have spoken of this from ancient days of prophetic visions of this time of, of like keeping knowledge safe until this time you know of like now is a time where you don't need to go to a monastery in china to learn kung fu you know back before um you know not in very very recent history before you like bruce lee for example like bruce lee brought karate and kung fu to to america or to europe to to western world you know there there were he there were Chinese um, Chinese mafia that were, you know, against him for that. You know, he brought yeah. secrets. You know, these are secrets that used to be, for in many ways, good reasons of like, are you ready to learn? You know, you don't just throw information out everywhere. But now we're at a stage where it's like, 
get everything out to everyone so that they can we can figure it all out you know it's a time for that and I think that's why I'm doing this podcast because over my journey of developing I've come across so many different healing modalities so many therapeutic ways of working so many ways of spiritually developing and different people need different things at different times and now I think the time for us all to collaborate and come together and share those unique experiences like you've had so that they can have a positive impact on everyone else definitely yeah yeah I think it's really great that you're doing this yeah um so yeah we got we got some of his cacao and I gave some to Lindsay actually he used it with Octavia Octavia for uh for healing um healing the energy lines kind of thing oh beautiful yeah that was great um yeah so that that was a really that was probably all I wanted to say really about about the trip amazing it sounds so incredible thank you for sharing that with me you're welcome And I think what we'll do is I'll have you back another day so we can discuss our journey because it's been quite an experience. Yeah. But what I'd say is what Giles and I'll do in a moment before he goes is Giles and I hug. So this is something that Giles introduced me to. So historically, going back to, say, when I met my husband or even when I got married, I didn't really like people touching me. I was a bit like, I'll have a handshake at a distance if I really have to. But then through my therapeutic healing, I became much more comfortable being in other people's energies and that level of trust grew. But in our society, we tend to just give very brief hugs, a quick pat on the back and on we go. But Giles doesn't do that. Giles gives really long hugs, so like a couple of minutes long. And to start with, when I experienced that, I was a little bit like, "Mm, not quite sure of this, because it gets to that point where it starts to feel socially awkward. But then we moved beyond that. And now we have these long hugs. Then they last a couple of minutes. But when we are hugging, there's a real connectedness where our hearts are actually across from each other. And it's that energy sharing at a cellular level, at an energetic level. And it's our hearts connecting. And I think that's what's really struck me about this whole journey you've had to Mexico. And also with the cacao, it's all about that heart-centered approach of opening the heart because when you do that, you're more loving, you're more giving, and you're more able to be in the present and experience every experience. So I think if that's one thing that I would like to take away from this, is that it all comes back to that heart-centered approach. And I think you've really taught me about that in lots of different ways. Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh, wow. You've, well, you've, it's interesting because you've taught me about that in lots of ways as well. Definitely. And I was, it's something I did want to bring up in, in this podcast. I'm really glad you did because it's something, it's such a strong message. And since you and my mum have become closer as well and spent more time and, you know, when we talk about the world and what, what we can do in the best way and you both say, you know, it's love and compassion, that's the best thing. And that, yeah. And that's what I think it ultimately all comes back to. So I love hearing about your journey, this therapeutic journey, how you've been learning all these different modalities and then you've found the cacao and everything is just slotted together for this part of your journey. And now you're sharing that with others. It's incredible. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so thank you ever so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was and a yeah, pleasure. Please do come back soon and carry on sharing your interesting and insightful tales with us. Definitely. Yeah. Enjoy your day. <laughs> thank you, Angie. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care and bye-bye for now. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you are interested in what we do, please go to my website, www.tranquil-awakenings.co.uk. As well as information on the therapies I offer, 
There is also links to my past life regression therapist programme and my professional hypnotherapy training programmes. If you are looking for online training for self-development, please go to debbieison.thinkific.com and also remember to follow me on social media. Simply on Facebook, type in Tranquil Awakenings to find my business page and I'm also on Instagram. I love hearing from you. Please do send any comments or questions and if you have any ideas of what you would like me to talk about on future episodes, please do send me a message.